Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his, uh, his body and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present, to the, present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let his wife see that she respects her husband. It's God's word. Lord Jesus, we come to you today, Father God, and we're addressing a marriage that um, a, a, a message and a, um, a topic that you yourself say is a mystery. It's profound, um, Lord God, and we come today seeking you and needing you, Holy Spirit. We need you to come. And make clear what is profound. Make clear what is a mystery. Um, Be with us today, Lord Jesus. Be effective in working in our lives and our marriages today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, As we address this topic, I mean, obviously, marriage is a spot where people are all over the board. Um, There are people that have begun marriage recently. There are people that are 50, 60-odd years. Who in here has been married the longest? Anyone been married um, 50 years or more? Anyone 60 years or more? There's people that are in a great spot. There's people that are really hurting. Okay? And so when you come at a topic like this, it's, it's, it's a challenge. But like we talked about, um, the best thing we need to do is to take God's scripture, apply it to our lives, and let him use it um, effectively for his glory in our marriage. Okay. Um, so as we begin, I guess we titled this topic or this, mar- this, this sermon, Marriage Must Matter. And I think we chose that because the world today treats marriage with a little bit different type of attitude. It's very casual, in it one day, out of it the next, no fault divorce, it just fell out of love. It's a very different kind of thing than marriage what used to be. Um, But as we get into marriage, we are immediately presented with this concept of marriage being a mystery. Like, okay. And I know some of you guys are probably thinking about Jimmy's joke last week and the genie in the bottle and saying, yeah, I told you, baby, you're a mystery. I ain't figuring it out. And sometimes it feels like that. It's okay. Um, But as what we're going to do here today is first... I want to present to you what the Bible says about marriage from a theological perspective. This is what God's word says marriage is. And if we left you there, I think we'd probably do a disservice because there's actually no nuts and bolts in that. I mean, it's there, but you'd really have to dig it out. But we really want to get practical. So as soon as we're done with that first area of the, of the message, we're going to move into some practical stuff. Um, and Nicole will take over there as we get started. So the first point I want to think, something I, I just want to lay a little bit of groundwork for you in this passage that we read, and, and is something that's probably very apparent for us here in this setting, maybe not so apparent in the culture and society in which we live today, that marriage is something that is God-designed, and it is God-ordained, and I think it's far more significant than most of our culture today would let you think. Where do I get that from? Obviously, it was in our passage. You know, we talk about, you know, he talks about, therefore shall one man leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, well, people take that and said, you know, that's one of those New Testament things. You said, well, actually, it was said back in the beginning. If you want to turn with me to Genesis 2.24, it says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the quote. Now, we live in a society today that says, you know, those Old Testament books were just probably written by some guy, may not even have been Moses. 
You know, as I studied, you know, some of the Bibles, there's scholars that even say, well, you probably had a group of prophets and a group of priests and a group, and they just kind of meshed it all together. Okay, and you look at that and say, well, how do I argue with that? And my answer to you is let Jesus argue with that. Okay, turn over to Matthew 19, 4 through 5. This is a really important one. So I'm going to wait for you to turn there if you have your Bible. Flip over there. It's really important because Jesus speaks to, one, who wrote the Bible, and two, its role in marriage. Matthew 19, 4 through 5. Once again, our Savior speaking, he said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Who, is, who did he say? He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. And he said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay? So who said it? Do you guys get that? Who said it? Jesus says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said? Who said it? God said it. So for the people that come along nowadays and tell you, I believe in Jesus, but those first few books of the Bible, those, I mean, they're just kind of this guideline, historical thing the Jews put together for us, and it's all Old Testament, Old Covenant stuff anyway. Jesus begs to differ. Okay? Jesus said it. Jesus established it. Now, this could be a whole sermon in and of itself, but I'm just going to leave you with this one thought as we dig a little bit into the theology of marriage. I said a minute ago that this is way more significant than I think many of us give credence to, okay? So that passage that we started off reading, it means a lot to us, I think, in different ways at different points in our life. Um, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, the young couple that gets, is about to get married probably thinks one very particular thing about that passage of Scripture, okay? And it's very forethought in their mind. Now, the couple that's been married for 50 years might have a little bit more depth in that passage and what it means. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of depth in what that means, and there's a mystery in what that means. Um, there is... You know, as I was sitting here thinking about getting ready for the message today, and, you know, something hit my mind, and it's, you know, you guys know me, I'm in the medical world, so it's medical things, and the thing that hit me was, you know, when we do transplants for people, organs, hands, faces, whatever we transplant, that person has got to be on anti-rejection medication for the rest of their life, because the body, you're taking something foreign, you're connecting it to something else that's completely different, and that body says, that's not me. So we suppress the immune system and say, don't, don't reject it. Please let it live here. And we do that. You are taking two things that are completely and totally opposite and saying, okay, you're one now. Okay? The marriage bed on the evening of your marriage is just the beginning of making two things one. And it is far more complex than that. And as I was sitting there thinking, you know, it's just as like we have a patient on an anti-rejection medication we have something fighting against us and the oneness that God wants for us in our marriages. Do you know what it is? Sin. We come into this thing with the sin nature, and it's going to fight at you through your whole marriage. But we have a medication that is so great, okay? And we're going to get in that today. This mystery was so profound that it blew the disciples away, okay? The grace that God speaks into marriage was so great, the disciples were amazed. Um, look with me back, or in, back in Matthew. Turn to chapter 19. We're going to be in verse 7. We're going to go through 7 through 10. I want you to see this. And they said to him, these are, you know, one of those times they're questioning Jesus a little bit. Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to his wife and to send her away? So why do you say it's okay to get divorced then, Jesus? Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. 
And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Now, some of you here today have walked through, probably many of you, walked through a lot more decades of marriage than we have. We haven't even got to 10 years yet. And you're saying, oh, just wait. You'll, you'll, you'll be questioning that at some point. Okay? And like I said, some people are here today and they are hurting in their marriages. And if we're, if we're, we're talking about being real a little bit in our Sunday school, if we're not going to be real, then we can just deny that. But it's true. Okay? But what God's saying here is my grace is so great over your life. Forgiveness, we talked about this morning, what a great primer for marriage. Forgiveness that you have received is so great. Why would the person that, you ever, that you're married to ever exhaust that forgiveness? And we get the answer. And Jesus knows it. There's sin in us. And there's hardness of heart. And he says, you know, in the case of sexual morality, it may be best because your hearts are so hard. Okay? That is how great God says marriage is. How the grace that is present in marriage is. And the disciples said, man, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if I can live up to that. Maybe it's just best I stay single. And I think we miss that. I think we miss that. Okay? So why is it... Why is that so scary to the disciples? The unlimited forgiveness that is presented in that, in that truth, that gospel truth, is great. And it is a challenge. We are called to reflect the union between Christ as the husband and the church and his bride. And this intimacy, that kind of intimacy and oneness is unachievable without the power of the Holy Spirit working through you. You can't get it without the Holy Spirit. I don't care how many self-help courses you go to, how many counseling sessions you sit through with a psychologist, how many books you read. If you're not trusting in the Lord Jesus to do that in your marriage, it ain't going to happen. Okay? And then lastly, what's the big deal? Why, the world says, is this such a big deal to you people? We get married, then we get unmarried. Then we get married again, and it's just, it's, you know, no one gets hurt. It's just a... It's you guys are the ones getting hurt because you care so much. Why do you care so much? The big deal is this. We are a testimony to the world of the power and love of our relationship with Christ through our fulfillment of God's design for marriage. Okay? Now, we may hurt for a season, okay? but if we don't have God's grace and mercy and forgiveness to displayed in our, through our marriages to the world, we are missing it, folks. Because we are a billboard of the God for God to this world saying, look, there's something better than what you've got. There's something better. Okay? And lastly but not least, you guys remember the part of the scripture where Jesus said forgiveness runs out, right? You remember that part? I don't either. Okay? It's the same thing in our marriage. And that's why the disciples got it. They said, whoa. That's big. That's huge. That's a lot of grace and forgiveness. Okay? Um, so as I kind of come out of that, like I, I wanted to lay a theological groundwork before we get down to the nuts and bolts of marriage. Now, we want to do something a little different before I turn it over to Nicole here. And I know you guys are probably going to say the altar call comes at the end of the service normally. But I want everyone, just for a minute, I want everyone to close your eyes. And you can put your head down if you want. It's not, we're not going to pray. But you can close your eyes if you want. No one looking around the room. If you're married here and at some point in your marriage have thought, how am I going to go on? How do I continue? Just raise your hand for me real quick. Okay. No one's looking around. Okay. Now, and if, you'd look, if you were looking, you'd see our hands up. Now, of the people that had your hands up, how many are there right now? All right, so hands back down, eyes open, okay? Thank you all for your honesty. Um, like I said, you know, you'd see our hands raised with the first group if you were looking around. There are hands all over this church of couples that have been married and said, I've been there, and I didn't know how I was going to do it. We didn't know how we were going to keep going. And there are hands that went up today, the people that are there in your body right now in the body of Bacon's Castle. People that are hurting, like we assumed from the very beginning, 
Just by statistics alone, we should know that someone here is hurting. Now, we're going to take the theology that we just talked about. Nicole's going to take over here in a second. She's going to speak to the women a little bit. I'm going to come back and speak to the men a little bit. And we're just going to talk to you about how we've done marriage. Things that have worked. Where we put God's word to use. How God's pulled us through hard times. Um, and see if we can be effective in, in, in changing things up a little bit. Oh, well, I just wanted to start off with, if anyone thinks our marriage is perfect because we're up here, it's not true. <laughs> and in fact, when we first came to the church, I was thinking, who can I talk with about raising all these kids that I have and staying married to my husband? She considers um, me a kid, by the way. I'm, I'm number, number, number five. Six. Or, oh, the dog. The dog is six, number five. Number six. But, oh, man, the reason I said yes to this, because we were discussing it, and I'm thinking, uh, no, 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 I'm not going up there. Forget it. Never. Especially about marriage. Too personal. But if I, during all these struggles that we were having in all the different places and churches and, and environments that we were in, if I would have had somebody who would have said, look, do you just want to talk? And I'll just listen. Or do you want me to give you your opinion? Because I can do that, too. You know, somebody who would support me in this journey I would have appreciated it. So that is why I'm up here. I am up here to say we have struggled. We have learned a few things. Still learning. Still learning. But um, I want to, as he read the passage in 1 Peter, you count those struggles as joy. If you cannot learn something from the struggles, what use are they? And God wants us to use them. So I'm going to use them. Um, And my passage is Ephesians 5. It's Ephesians 5, 23-24 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, um, submission. We all hear it. The ladies are supposed to submit. The guys are the leaders. I asked Marshall, I said, you know, I've heard about submission, but what does that word mean? And so we looked it up, and the word actually means to voluntarily subject oneself by recognizing an order structure. Only reason I looked that up is because you really don't know, like, what does submit mean? Or we're in the midst of a discussion. Am I just supposed to say, you're right, I'm wrong, and let's just do it? Or we're not supposed to go into sin, um, but God calls us to submit. So... I wanted to know, what does that really mean? And what I came out of looking at all these different scriptures, Colossians 3.18, Wives, submit your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As to the Lord, as is fitting in the Lord, it's an act of faith. It's an act of obedience. You may not agree with your husband on many things, um, but in those situations, when he leads, and ultimately he will, in one way or another, He will not do things right. He will fail. You will fail. But it's to keep on, as to the Lord, to keep on putting your hope and faith in the Lord and not in your husband. And ultimately, it's to do things with a supportive attitude. You know, so many times we can be like, okay, let's do it. Yeah, sure. But is our heart in it? And and they... That's okay sometimes, but I think a husband and, and they appreciate when it's not just... Okay, but you're excited and you support him. And in today's world, we have a a very strong role, and it's to be the supportive, the person that is behind him. We don't recognize, you know, they have a a lot of battles that they face as well. I looked up, John Piper said, Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. You have many gifts. You have a lot of talents, abilities, and I think a lot of times we think, well, we're in this together, and, you know, I'm just the wife. I'm just here. And sometimes that is it. But sometimes through supporting your husband, he will see. He will see the value in you. And as a team working together, you will achieve things greater than you could on your own. And the, the challenge that I had to you guys is, As I said, a lot of this comes down to obedience. It comes down to you not feeling like it, you not wanting to do it, but realizing that God is going to bless you for doing whatever he's asking you to do. It may be something like, 
how can I help you, dear husband? <laughs> when you come home from work and you have all of the kids, you have all of the house, you have all of these things, but you set that aside and you look at him. And so my challenge is, ladies, you know, a lot of us work in the home, a lot of us work outside, but for those husbands that work every day, they get up, they go to work. When is the last time you've told him thank you? Just say thank you. And a lot of us, we're smiling, we go to church. We're not smiling on the inside. I know for me it's a struggle to get here, to get everybody ready. But we smile, we fake, we can put on a show. You can do that with your husband. Smile. Look at him and say, thank you. Now, I don't think that's the best way. But you know what? If you do it, great. Tell him thank you. And some of you, you may not be in that camp. You may be in another camp where your husband isn't really providing for you. He's not doing what God is asking him to do. But I'm going to challenge you as well to pray for one thing that you can ask God to say, thank you for this in my husband. And God will show you that. So submission and faith go hand in hand. They go hand in hand because we are all fallen. Ladies, we're fallen. They're fallen. It's never leading yourself or your husband if he asks you to go into sin. That's not what it's about. Acts 5.29 says we must obey God rather than men. But it's an attitude of support. Um, One of the things that, you know, yeah, Nicole and I were talking about this and you know, with Father's Day coming up, um, I guess I'm, gonna, I'm speaking for men. So if, if I say something and that's not you, because a lot of the things we talk about are stereotypes, men are like this, women are like that, then you can by all means get in the car on the way home and tell your wife, that ain't me. You know, so if you've been angling for that new ATV or that new entertainment center for Father's Day, I'm sorry about what I'm going to say. But one of the greatest gifts a wife can give a husband is to let them know that they are content and they're blessed in their marriage. Um, when I, you know, a few points in my life, and are not more recently, as we've really gotten through a lot of struggles, when I come home and I just, I see my wife happy. And, you know, she doesn't, she's not asking me for anything. I was like, babe, do you need anything? No, I was like, no, I mean, really, is there anything you need to buy for the house? I mean, no, we're good. I mean, just, I just need you to sit down and talk. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Man, it is such a blessing to know that your wife is in a place of contentment. So women, if, if, you are, if you're in that place and you are just, you know, sometimes people don't, like they don't think to say it. My husband's not a real emotional guy. He doesn't talk a lot. He kind of just does his thing. He goes to his man room. Go to his man room and tell him, babe, I just want you to know, I'm just really content. Thank you so much for providing. And that is one of the greatest blessings that you can give your husband um, on Father's Day of all days, okay? And if he's not there, you know, I've not been there, like Nicole said, Pray and ask the Lord for one thing, for one thing. You know, and if you can, in the midst of whatever you got going on, ask the Lord to help you tell that person that one thing, okay, that you can thank God for them about, okay? Um, And I'm just going to go ahead and, um, you know, one of the verses that we're in the military, many days, many nights, I did not have Marshall. He was working. There was no one, you know, and it has been, that's something I'm going to refer to later, but it was a trial, Many of you may feel like, I don't have my husband. He's here, but he's not really here. Something, you know, I don't really know what's going on inside with him. These are struggles that we go through. But if you look in the Bible, and I'm, I'm going to refer to Abraham and Sarah, you know, these people were flawed. They had, Abraham was going from place to place, and twice he denied Sarah as his wife, um, you know, and Sarah is listed in Hebrews 11, and so is Abraham for their faith. And I'm going to read 1 Peter 3. It talks about this. It says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. This is 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. When they see the purity and reverence of your lives, your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. 
Has anybody in here ever called your husband your Lord? Just curious. I didn't think so. Let's start that. It's Most likely not. But um, you're thinking, what? This is what I'm supposed to do? No, no, I'm not saying do that. But what I am saying and what I did learn is be careful what you say. Be very careful what you say to your husbands. And even more, be careful what thoughts you allow into your heart. You know, it talks about out of the overflow of the heart is what you speak from your mouth. And I feel like it's easy because you're like, well, he's my husband. I, you know, we have to tell everything. We have to discuss and this. And you have to be very cautious because I believe that the words that we say, Sarah called him her Lord. She submitted to Abraham. He, he messed up many times. But yet, she found respect. She found something. And that you cannot do without God's help. But I would encourage you to say positive things to your husband. I would encourage you, as it says in verse, um, to hope. verse 5, is your hope in your husband? Because it says right here, the holy women of the past put their hope in God. And honestly, we all, we all, whether we're single, whether we're married, wherever we are, we have to believe you're you may not be married. You're thinking, I'm going to be married. I'm going to meet the man. It's going to be great. We're going to have kids and just, oh, it's going to be awesome. That's not, that's not what God says. Your hope has to be in him. It has to be in his ways. You know, are you expecting your husband to be perfect? Are you expecting him to be like you? Which, again, it's hard not to because, you know, this is the way that you are. Um, or are you trying to control him? You know, because a lot of times we have to be independent. We have to manage our homes, manage our households. But we can't really manage them. <laughs> you know, the Bible says Eve's desire was for her husband and to control him. And ladies, I would agree submission means you express your opinion. You express it in a way, though, that is respectful. Not always easy, I know. But I'm just pointing out in this, in this passage, through time, Sarah, very fallen, Abraham, very fallen, they used these principles, and God called them people of faith. And it took time. It took a lot of time. Because you know what? They didn't know where they were going. And as I said, us, we, many times, we'd be like, well, we're going to go here. But then we didn't. We went somewhere else. Those, those times, those trials, you know, we could get impatient. I'm going to be like, well, I want to know where we're going. And, you know, I want my husband to look like this when we're married by five years and six years and he could do the same, but these things take time. So be patient and don't, don't throw away the work of God that he's doing in your life. Yeah, one of the things I was going to say, it comes along the line of what we were saying a minute ago. One of the greatest blessings you can give your husband is to tell him you're content. Um, and then I was going to, you know, the obvious follow-up to that is one of the greatest damages you can do to your marriage is to speak something that it might have a flavor of truth with emotion in a way that's hurtful. And what do I mean by that is, you know, we are flawed, like we've talked about. We're going to mess up. We're sinful people. I, you know, I've made tremendous mistakes. You know, I, and we'll kind of talk some more about these things. But one of the things Nicole is saying is like, you know, if, I'm, if your husband's off in left field, you can go and say, babe, you know, I really think this isn't what God has for us right now. I really think this isn't the place, okay? Um, that may or may not do it. That may or may not reel your husband back in. But one of the worst things you can do is get emotional and get upset and say, you just have never listened. You've never done. You've never, you've never, okay? And what that does is it can literally just crush your husband, you know, and they feel like they are a failure to you as a husband. When I'm sure we are failures. Don't get me wrong. We fail. But to consider yourself all of a sudden as a, as a failure in your marriage, that at some one or two places in our marriage has put me in some of the darkest places And then the only time in my life I've had the devil come and tell me, you know, man, it's not really worth it. You know, you know, I even had the devil come tell me once, why do you even keep doing this thing? Just just quit. Just give up. Okay. But in knowing what God's design for marriage is and what God's design for our life as a believer is, it's easy to immediately say, you know who that is? That's the devil. Okay. And to come back and say, babe. I know you didn't mean that. I know you didn't mean that. I know it's not. But, and I know I've let you down. And I'm sorry. Let's figure it out. Okay? So. Um, 
And going back to that passage, I just wanted to ask, you know, has anyone in this room ever expected something out of their marriage and then gotten something below it? All of us, all of us have probably a lot of unrealistic expectations, right? And I can just, in this passage with Sarah, she's going here, she's going there, you know, and it took time. It took time of her submitting to her husband. And at the end of the passage, it talks about you or her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. I would have been afraid. I would have been afraid if God said, you're going to go somewhere. I'm not going to tell you where, but you're going somewhere. And I, I can identify with her, but early in our marriage, God had to reveal a lot of the things we bring from our past, we have to let go of. And the spirit of fear was one thing, the spirit of worry. So much we're thinking, oh, if my husband doesn't do this, our kids won't do this, and then we won't look like this, and then this won't happen, and, and then you're all worried, you're, you're anxious. And I think the opposite of that, of that is having this faith, this faith that says, my hope is in God. And, you know, I, another verse that I looked, we're in First Peter, it talks about being subject to the husbands who don't know the Lord. Some people may have a husband who doesn't know God. And it says, wives, be subject to your husbands, even if they do not obey the word. They may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Or some of you may be saying, well, my husband, he's really, not, he's really not doing what he knows he should be doing. And in that case, you could approach him. But I'm trying to, to point out that through your behavior, over time, God blesses you. And either you change, or he changes, or you both change. But you cannot change him. You can never do anything. And, you know, I with the um, challenge of all the books and the education, and if you look on our bookshelf... So many books. I mean, and I we went to the marriage conference, and I'm thinking, okay, you know, we're doing it. We're doing the right things, but that does not take the place of the Holy Spirit telling you how to apply this knowledge into your life, and it doesn't take the place of being patient. And I would encourage you, if any of you are saying, you know what, I'm done. I'm not doing it. I can't do it. Are you giving God enough time to show His purpose in your life? And your marriage may be that struggle. Being married may be the trial that you're in right now, but don't give up. Because I've seen through our, our trials over being married and going here and there and being difficult to find a good church home. All of those things that through that time that God has worked in us in a way that no conference, no book could have done. So I would challenge you to not give up because you may be here but you don't see what's here. If somebody would have told me that I would have been married to him, I never moved. We stayed in the same house. I grew up in the same town. I saw the same people every day. Now, we've moved to seven different states, many different churches, many different people and families, and it's all wonderful, but it's not what I would have ever expected. So don't don't stop and say, look where I am today. This is I'm always going to be here because things will change. Things can change if you let God change them. Um, I'm going to give one last thought to the ladies before we move on to the guys here in the last few minutes. And I am going to steal an extra five or ten minutes of your Sunday afternoon. I apologize. We just want to comprehensively cover marriage this morning, so we're just going to get it all in. Um, I will probably be five minutes over. But um, sorry, some of you guys got that. Um, but I do want to mention, you know, she mentioned our training. And when I was in my residencies and fellowships, you know, I was working 100-hour weeks, 100, 110-hour weeks consistently for four to six years in that, in that, in that four- to six-year time frame. And I just wasn't there. I mean, my kids, I, I may see them uh, before they go to bed. I may see them when they wake up. probably would never see them before they woke up. Um, and on the weekends, it's pretty much it. And even then, I'd be in and out of the hospital on the weekends. Um, and that was a point at which, looking back, I can definitely say that you know, my leadership as the husband broke down. Um, I was not doing spiritually what God had called me to do because the, the, the things that the weights of the world, the cares of the world, the things that I had to do for work, maybe not necessarily sinful things or bad things, but they were things that were challenging and taking over my role and what I should be doing as a spiritual leader. Now, why do I say that for the ladies? Because there may be a role or maybe a season of life. It shouldn't be your marriage, but there may be a season of your life where that happens with your husband. 
You know, he starts a new business. He opens a new something. He has to get a new job. He has to move somewhere. He goes away. He has to take, do something. And you may be called to step up as the spiritual leader in your home for a period. Okay? Do that. You know, don't let it just fall. You know, pray. But, you know, if your husband's there and he's just struggling spiritually, by the, like Nicole was saying, you walking faithfully will encourage your husband to come back to the Word and to take up the role of a spiritual leader that he should be taken up. Um, at some point in your marriage, it probably will happen if it hasn't already, okay? So in those periods, be faithful and just pray and lift your husband up because, um, you know, we do fall. We do fall and fall, fall down. That was a, a leadership breakdown on my part. All right, guys. I get you for a few minutes here. We're going to go through a couple things that I think are important. Um, I want to point out to the men. Now, no, now the ladies, you know, and like once again, back to stereotypes. Or, you know, we talk about a lot of the different things that go on. The guys, we could talk about the tough stuff. You know, we get to talk about Samson. We get to talk about David. We get to talk about, you know, the warriors in the Bible and those kind of things. So, of course, my first topic is be a, be a spirit-led warrior, okay, for the guys. What does that mean? Um, I'm going to read to you out of John 14, verse 26. And I'm going to just kind of give you a little thought about that. It says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. When I say be a spirit-led warrior, I don't mean be like Samson who didn't realize that the Spirit of the Lord had already left him and he went out to fight, okay? Be led by the Holy Spirit. We fight a spiritual battle around us all day long. The attacks of the devil into your marriage are spiritual, Okay? They may use physical things, but they're really spiritual in nature. If you try and fight a spiritual battle without spiritual warfare tools, then you're going to be up a creek without a paddle, as we say. Okay? Trust in the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, to teach you what you need to know. If you're not seeking the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to be a leader and a warrior for your home and family, then we're falling down on the job, guys. Okay? Where did Satan attack? Where do we find the first attack of the devil in the Bible? He attacks the marriage. He goes and he gets Eve, probably by herself. That's what it looks like in the Bible. Kind of gets her over to her side saying, did God really say that? He attacks the marriage. He attacks the fabric of marriage, okay? And what happens? What happens immediately after that? Where do we see these folks go after sin enters the world? What do they go and do? They cover themselves with what? With what? What do they cover themselves with? Fig leaves, right? Why? Because they were shamed. Are we sinful people? We talked about that already, I think. We can all say amen. Are we going to do things in our marriage that maybe our spouse will only see that we're ashamed of? Probably so, okay? What's our natural response? We saw Adam and Eve do it. What's it? What is it? Hide. Hide. Cover it up, okay? I'm going to tell you Folks, one of the things that we do when we got something we want to hide, and we talked about this in our Sunday school this morning, we start building our wall. Okay? So I don't really want to talk about that. I'm just going to build a little wall there. Maybe I'll pull back. I'm not going to be too emotional. You know, I'm not supposed to be that emotional anyway. Build my wall. Okay? The next thing you know, you and your wife have no emotional connection. You're like, what happened? Well, you built a three foot thick, 16 foot tall wall because you didn't want them to see your failures. You didn't want to admit, I messed up too, okay? We have got to get the walls broken down. And you may bring into your marriage walls. What do we call those? Strongholds is another name for that. A spiritual stronghold is another name for kind of a wall, all right? How do we fight against those things, okay? With spiritual weapons. And what are our spiritual weapons, you know, and I've learned this more and more through my marriage. Nicole has been so faithful in these areas of reminding me when I start struggling and looking at just, well, why are we having so many problems? And why is this so hard? And why is this, you know, well, babe, we, we know we haven't really been praying a lot together lately. Um, you've been really busy. We haven't. When's the last time we fasted? And I'm like, ooh. The spiritual weapons of our warfare, prayer, the word, coming together and fellowship, okay, and, and fasting. Do we do that in our marriages? The most blessed seasons of our life have been when we're doing those things and battling with our spiritual weapons. Um, I thought about the story, you know, it's not quite, you know, on topic, but do you guys remember the, the one point that the disciples, they were trying to cast demons out of somebody and they couldn't do it? And then Jesus came along and it happened? Why did he say? What was the point? 
said these only come out by prayer and fasting. There are some spiritual strongholds that can only be broken down with spiritual weapons. All of them, only with spiritual weapons. But serious spiritual weapons, prayer, fasting, and the word, okay? Um, you know, we as you know, you guys know the verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, carnal, but divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds, fortresses, castles, if you want. You know, you can build up a castle and the spiritual weapons of warfare can still break it down, okay? Um, next thing I want to mention to you, we talked about the word and the word is so important. If the word's not in our marriages, we don't have a hope, okay? Um, Ephesians 5, 25 through 26 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church, gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, okay? Now, men, you're, you're not going to sanctify your wife. Christ is, okay? But he has given you tools in which, as a leader, you can aid in your wife's progressive sanctification in her life. You can help your wife become a holier and holier woman as she lives through your marriage. And it is your call as a leader in your home to do so, okay? How do we do that? As Christ said here, with the washing of water with the word. Maybe we don't know exactly what that means, but it pretty much sounds to me like we're supposed to use the word for something. Read the word in your home. Pray the word in your prayers. Use God's word effectively over your lives. Um, you want to share anything about when spiritual exercises in our home? Uh, sure. Um, going just real briefly, you know, we've gone to the different marriage conferences. We've read many books. Those have all been great. But when you get through these deep struggles and trials, one thing, exercise that Marshall and I have found is that in the morning this is what we do because he leaves early we try to pray together we try to pray together Um, that doesn't mean that you don't pray on your own you pray on your own and we do he mentioned fasting when we were facing major decisions such as like where were we going to live after we moved from Florida where are we going to get a house Uh, Will this be good in reference to, you know, schooling and work? All these different major decisions, we would try to fast for something, you know, food or drink or something. And those things have really helped us. When you do it on your own, that's great. But when you do it together, we have found that we get through things in a much quicker and easier way. And I know for me, I wake up and I'm thinking, okay, A, B, C, D, and I have all these things, you know, and you're like, well, I really don't have time to be stopping and, you know, praying. And, but for us, it's just been on those days when we've committed to praying together. It can be at night. It doesn't have to be. But I, we've seen that, you know, I learn a little bit more about him. He learns about me. And you really see the spiritual strength of God just working through that. And we even learned through those exercises, we start praying over our kids. Like, this one is really frustrating me right now. Can you please pray and do this? And we have noticed, and this is, this is just where you see God work in your personal life in ways that no one can tell you he, he's not real and he's not there, is through your prayer together in your marriage and with your kids. You see him move. And so. Yeah, and, um, you know, I don't remember the pastor's name or who said it originally. It's a quote I heard of a quote from someone else. But, you know, there was a man that would get up. He was a pastor and prayed four hours every morning, you know, before he would get out of his door to, to set about his day. And someone came along and said, man, how do you get everything done in the day when you spend four hours in the morning praying? He said, if I didn't pray four hours in the morning, I would get nothing done the rest of the day. And so Nicole and I had to sit down at one point and say, babe, when are we going to pray? We hit the door. The kids are there. They're all over us. I'm exhausted. You know, and so nighttime, we kept having this goal of nighttime prayer for like three years. And at some point we sat down and said, babe, I'm, I said, this just isn't, it's not going to happen. What can we do? And, um, and she, you know, so I'm sorry, ladies, but she's like, well, what do you want me to do? I said, I, only thing I can think of is we got to do it in the morning. So Nicole you know, it's like, all right. She made a spiritual sacrifice. She laid down her mornings. I get up. I'm usually out the house by 5.30 or 5.45. I got a 45-minute drive. So she sets her alarm for about 30-ish minutes later, gets up right around then, and we have a phone call conversation and pray on the way to work every morning almost, okay? That has been a spiritual exercise that has almost saved our marriage, okay? Because this goal that we set just wasn't happening. 
And you can keep living in this dream that, oh, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Or you can say, look, babe, we've got to do something else. Let's look at this, okay? Um, two last points, I think, before we kind of wrap it up here. The challenge was in Ephesians 5, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the, uh, does the church. Love your wife like you love your own body, okay? No one typically does things to hurt themselves. You know, um, I remember when we got married, I was big into fitness. I would go to the gym like two and a half hours a day. In the morning, I'd go cardio and do stuff. In the afternoon, I'd lift weights. I was trying to get in this great shape. Did a little competition thing. Nicole thought I was crazy. Looking back, if I would have invested two and a half hours of life into my wife instead of two and a half hours in the gym, the rewards I would have been reaping over the years to follow would have been tremendous. Love your wife like you take care of your own flesh, okay? All right, moving on. Almost done here. Be the leader, okay? And this is where people get weird. Like, great, he's going to be the leader and do this, do that. I've got to say yes, husband, all good. It's not what we're talking about. Once again, how do we tell? We let the Bible tell us. What does a leader look like? I'm going to let Jesus tell us again. I like to do that. John 13, 3 through 5. Jesus, in leadership, says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands and he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper, laid aside his garments, taking a towel, wrapped it around himself, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Men, be a servant leader. Okay? When your wife is beat and she's had a killer day and maybe yours was okay and the dishes are piling up, be willing to chip in, okay? You know, that's not leadership to sit there and say, hey, kid's crying again. I got stuff to do, okay? I've been there, and Nicole's been like, hey, really? Okay, you know, and, and God's conviction comes, and you're like, man, you know what? That's not leadership. Jesus didn't show us leadership like that. He showed us how to be a servant leader, okay? Um, Leaders must leave to lead. Matthew 5, 31, especially for you young guys or guys about to get married, guys who just got married. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold on fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Also, moms, you gotta let them go. Okay? I remember when we got married, and so my dad and I, you know, we, my, dad was, my dad was a doctor when I was growing up, and he was like me, super busy. And we never really got a lot of time together. We never clicked, okay? And when we got married, I was back home in Louisiana for a couple years. My dad would call me up and say, hey, son, let's go fishing this weekend. And I'd call Nicole up and say, hey, babe, guess what? I'm going to go fishing with dad this weekend. She'd be like, babe, I haven't seen you all week. I'm like, but it's dad. She's like, but I'm wife, you know? And so that's what I'm talking about. You have to realize, and there's great, you know, fishing with your dad's a great thing to do. But your wife and your spouse, your husband, are now first. Mom and dad are now second, okay? Um, that person is first in your life. Now, health, something major, I mean, obviously, you and a husband and wife respond to that and take care of your parents and whatnot, but just that was our example, I think, of, you know, one we thought of. Um, leaders must stay focused and not be distracted, Mark 4, 18 through 19 says, And others are the ones sown among the thorns. We talked about this two weeks ago. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As a lot of, most of the men, most of the men in here, as the breadwinner for your home, probably, you know, on, on, you know statistically, most of you are, um, don't be caught up in this. Well, I could work a little more. I could make a little, I could make a little more. I can make my wife happier. We can buy more stuff. You know, it, it, you know, the deceitfulness and the cares and the things and the time all can just suck your attention away. And the next thing you know, you're like, you know, why don't, what happened to our relationship? You've invested it all in your work. And that's, you know, we found ourselves in that spot. I mean, the, the thing with us was we knew going in to this training that it was going to be demanding. But even knowing, coming out, we've sat back and looked and said, man, the price we paid to get here. And we've, you know, a year out, we're still catching up, trying to invest back into our marriage for the years in which, you know, I was just 
gone. Just gone, working 110 hours a week, okay? Um, And lastly, I, I think the last thing I wanted to say is, men, lead your wife into all holiness, okay? Be a builder and build them up. You know, my daughters obviously aren't at the dating age. I remember one girl I took out on a date uh, in in college, and the dad, when they were walking out the door, literally got the pump shotgun out and went, you know, bring her home, how you're taking her out, kind of a thing, you know. When we stand before the Lord at the end of our lives, I sure hope we can say, God, I've taken care of the daughter of yours that you entrusted to me. And she's here before you, more pure and more holy than the day you entrusted her to me. Even more so than our our wives' earthly fathers. How much our heavenly father, when we stand before him, he says, I entrusted my daughter to you. What have you done with her? Have you encouraged her? Have you built her up? You know, is she holier today than she was the day that she married you? Have you guys just flittered your wife life away doing stuff? Okay? Think about that. Okay? Um, you know, as we think about all these things, you know, we're out of time. Today's start off today, if you were here in Sunday school, you know where this begins and ends. Grace and forgiveness. Guys, in marriage, we're going to fall and fail and mess up. But God's grace is so sufficient. Forgiveness is so powerful. Okay? I told our Sunday school class this morning, you know, if, if you really, if you're having struggle with forgiveness and you're a brave soul, go home today and ask God to show you how much forgiveness He's shown towards you. Ask Him to show you who you really are. Because we are messed up, wicked people. Man, we need Jesus. And He's shown us so much grace to think that we can come into a marriage and be cold, standoffish, build our walls, hold our grudges, do the, we came up with a whole list in our Sunday school of what lacks of forgiveness look like. You can do that in your marriage. Ask God to show you the forgiveness that you live with every day from Him, and it will change your perspective on grace. Okay? So we're going to wrap up in prayer. You have anything else to say? Bow your heads with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for this time we've had to talk about marriage. God, this is such a, an amazing mystery Lord God, and there's so much grace that goes into our relationships, but there's so much truth and there's so much beauty and there's so much glory that can be had out of of our marriages, Lord God. But we said it earlier, Lord, we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that you would help us, God. Help us when we start to lean on the flesh which is our tendency. God, I've done it time and time again to lean on my flesh, God, and only to find my marriage just weak and and famished, fatigued, and, and just not looking good, just to find that I've been walking in my flesh again. Lord, help us to be a spirit-minded people. Holy Spirit, fill us. Help us to fight with the right weapons. Help us to build one another up and not tear each other down, Lord God. Be with us today. Help this wonderful gift of marriage be something that is used to glorify your name, Lord Jesus. We pray this all in your precious name, Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening. This message has been brought to you by Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. And if you'd like to learn 